0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about the book of Jonah. We're not going to be there very long at all, really, so if you don't turn there, that's quite all right, but we want to talk a little bit about Jonah, what a fascinating book it is. In the book of Jonah, we are introduced to the fact that there is somebody that was told by the Lord to go and do something, and he said, well, I don't want to do that, I don't want to go do that thing. I, I don't, I don't wanna do it. And, and we would say usually that the reason why Jonah said, I don't wanna do that is because, well, he just probably didn't wanna be a missionary. He had other things that he'd rather do. He wanted to do his own thing. And to be a missionary, that wasn't really something that was something that Jonah wanted to do. And so he ran away from God. And well, the Bible tells us that he ran away from God, but he really couldn't run away from God, obviously. And God knew exactly where he was all the time. And God prepared a boat and a ship and a storm. And a great fish. And Jonah was then swallowed and he repented and the Lord spit him out in the place where the Lord, or excuse me, the whale spit him out, or the great fish. I'm going to get it eventually. The great fish spit him out in the place where the Lord wanted him to go. And he went and he did exactly what it is that God told him to do. I want to read a couple of verses from Jonah. I want to start with verse 1 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it said, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down on it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so the ship was about to break up. And so he ran, but the Lord knew exactly what was going on. Chapter 3, it says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation, which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. This was a huge place. And we see that finally Jonah did exactly what it is the Lord told him to do. Verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew... That you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Lord, I'm really torqued off right now because I knew that you were a good God. And I know that you being a good God, you tend to spread your love and your mercy and your kindness and your compassion to all sorts of people. And I'm just really torqued off about that right now. It wasn't that Jonah didn't want to be a missionary. It's that Jonah didn't want to go and share the word of God with the Assyrians. You see, the Assyrians were Jonah's enemy. The Assyrians were Israel's enemy. And Jonah said, I don't want to go tell them about you because you are a gracious God and chances are you will save them. You will do a great thing because that's who you are. And if I tell them about you and... Your graciousness works in their hearts. Well, then they'll repent and they won't be destroyed. And them being destroyed is high on my list of priorities. I'd like to see that happen. And you're not going to destroy them. And in fact, they might even become decent people. And I don't want that at all. Lord, I can't stand those people. Why would you save them? Don't do it. I won't do it, is what Jonah said. You know Christianity is incredibly unique in the fact that it crosses barriers constantly. Constantly. Do you know that there's not a barrier that you can find that God hasn't said you're supposed to cross? Doesn't exist. God has said cross all barriers in order to tell other people about me. God has said cross all barriers in order to be kind, to be understanding and compassionate. God says cross barriers all barriers for the glory of God. Revelation 5.9 says that Jesus Christ purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Christianity crosses barriers. Christians. Christians seem to be the group that reach out And care for the unloved, the unlovely, the unlovable, the hard to get along with. Because we, we worship, we follow, we serve a God who says, I care about even them. Even them. This morning in our study of the book of Acts, not Jonah, but the book of Acts, we come to one of the most significant truths in all the Bible. We see this truth in action, that God crosses all barriers, that all all tribes, all tongues, all peoples, all nations need to hear about Jesus Christ. We find the truth that says that God's love touches every single one in one way or another. Because as we saw in Sunday school, indeed, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. Acts chapter 10. The early church, they had some problems. And their main problem that they had right away was that all of a sudden, people were getting saved from different nations. It was all well and good when the Jews were getting saved. It was all well and good when the message was going to the Jews, but then the message started to spread a little bit and Gentiles needed to hear the message. Well, how are all those Jews going to feel about that? How are they going to deal with that? The attitude of Jonah is not an isolated attitude. A lot of people have the attitude of Jonah that attitude that says, Not them, Lord. Nope, not them. Can't stand them. They're my enemy. They're my enemy. Don't want that. And a lot of people still struggle with that, even today. This chapter is going to help us with that. Chapter 10 of Acts. The story that absolutely shook the world. Because all of a sudden, the gospel wasn't just for Jews anymore all of a sudden the gospel was for Gentiles as well now up to this point Gentiles had been got, been being saved but a few here one there rarely pockets now all of a sudden the gospel is going to the Gentiles in a complete way here it is here's the gospel here you go And that was something that was going to absolutely blow these folks away. I want you to notice, before we start reading in chapter 10, look in chapter 11, verse 19. Look at what it says. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. This is ours. (laughs) God has always been our God. And I reckon he always will be our God. And I am willing to tell other people about our God, but Jews. Only Jews. And that's what the new church was facing. That's what the early church was facing. It is hard for us to understand that. For some of us that are older, it's a little easier. It's hard. To have national enemies, those lines are... Being disappeared today, they're, they're going away. We, we have cultural issues going on in our country, but national issues are, are fading away, it seems like. These folks, it was in your face constantly. There's a, there's a border there. Those people are our enemy. I don't like them. And we have something special that we want to save and keep. Jesus. God, He's ours. And the Lord came around, and he came to Jonah, and he said, go tell them. And in Acts chapter 10, he tells Peter, go tell them. Let's, uh, let's look at this. Acts chapter 10, we're going to read through it. It says this, now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have, been, have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch the man to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were of his personal attendance, and after he explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down lowered the four corners to the ground. And there were in all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, get up and get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times and immediately the object was taken into the sky Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which he had seen might be, behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius having asked directions for Simon's house appeared at the gate and calling out they were asking whether Simon who was also called Peter was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold three men are looking for you, but get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? He said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house to hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. What a story. And we've just started it. As with most stories in the Bible, God prepares people ahead of time. Not only do we see that in Acts, but we see that in all of Scripture. We we find willing, obedient followers of God. We've seen this before in Acts, and we're seeing it again in this story. Willing, obedient followers of God. Men and women willing to be used of God. Willing to step out. Willing to say, God, that seems like a hard thing to do, but okay, I'll do it. Men and women of God who are willing to face questions and face consequences, all for the glory of God. And that's what we see in this story. In verses 1 through 8, we meet this fellow named Cornelius. Caesarea was the capital of Judea, and stationed there was a very well-trained special group called the Italian cohort or regiment. In in the Roman army, a legion had 6,000 men, a cohort had had 600 men, and a centurion was over 100 men. And so Cornelius was in charge, and he was a guy who had some authority. The Bible tells us that Cornelius was a good man. The Bible tells us that Cornelius was a moral man. He was a devout man, it says. He feared God. His household feared God. He gave alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. Here was a man who was indeed seeking God with the knowledge that he had. But he was not a follower Of the resurrected Jesus Christ now this is important this teaches us a great truth and that is this good and moral religious people aren't where they need to be yet it wasn't good enough that he was a good man it wasn't good enough that he was a moral man it wasn't good enough that he was a religious man he needed to be a man who was saved by the resurrected Jesus Christ who died on the cross because the Bible tells us very clearly there is one way to heaven and one way only, and that is Jesus Christ. And as we talk about breaking down cultural barriers, that does not change And with cultures come different approaches to God, different approaches to religions, different approaches to what they think is right and wrong and moral and all of those kinds of things. But the thing that never changes is Jesus Christ. That is abundantly abundantly clear in the Scriptures. It is crystal clear, and we can never change that. When we go to another culture... It's to talk about Jesus Christ because what people need is Jesus Christ. What Cornelius needed was Jesus Christ. And we live in a world that doesn't like this. We live in a world that says that if you're a good, moral, religious person, you've done everything you need to do. And God says, not quite. Not quite. Because as we celebrated this morning, there is only one who paid the price for sin. And that was Jesus Christ. And people need to know Jesus Christ. So Cornelius is in that position, but he is indeed seeking God. And here's an interesting thing. When they are seeking God with all of their heart, God responds to that. And God responds by a vision. And Cornelius has this vision and he is told that you need to send some people to this next town, and you will find a fellow named Peter there, and you need to ask them to come visit with you, and he will come, and he will give you what you need in life. God spoke, and Cornelius follows. He does exactly what he is told. In the meantime, God is preparing Peter. Peter is in that other city, and what Peter is doing is, I want you to notice that it says that he is on the housetop at the sixth hour, that's noon, and he is going to pray. I want you to back up, and I want you to notice in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius said, clearly saw a vision of the angel of the Lord, who came in and said to him, Cornelius, I want you to notice that it appears, with Peter, we're sure of this, with Cornelius, I think it can be said, these men who are praying these are men who are praying you know one of the things that we say in christianity all the time is i don't hear from god all that often i got some issues i have some things going on i i have concerns i have questions i have whatever and the question i want to ask you is when was the last time you prayed when was the last time you shut out all the clutter And you got in a position where you were praying and you were talking to God and you were in a position to hear what God had to say. You know, one of the problems with Christians is that we will go everywhere else for the answer except to the one who can give the answer, and that's to God. To actually shut things down, stop the clutter, stop the noise, and pray. I believe that if we will do that, we will probably hear from God far, far more than what we do now. You believe in God? You believe he's real? You believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Yes, 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 you do. Well then, doesn't it make sense that the Holy Spirit would indeed talk to you? Yes. Are you listening? Are you in a position to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say? Prayer does that. Haven't heard from God lately? Shut things off. Get rid of the clutter. Talk to the Lord. See what he says. Well, what happens with Peter is that he goes into what the Bible calls a trance. As God prepared the listener, which was Cornelius, God now prepares the preacher, who is Peter. He prepared Cornelius with a vision, and Cornelius was in a position to listen to what he had to say, and now God prepares the preacher, and the preacher is in a position to listen to what God has to say. We're going to walk through these verses because these are important. He falls into a a trance in verse 10. Verse 11 and 12 says this, And he saw the sky open up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground... And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And we understand that these were both clean and unclean animals as what it, it indicates later on in this passage. And so there's this big sheet and there are all of these animals and Peter sees these animals very clearly. The clean and the unclean. Why in the world did God do that? We read that in the Old Testament. We see that God drew a line and he said, that animal's clean, that animal's unclean. Clean, unclean, clean, unclean. And he drew that line and he said, here's how you approach unclean animals and here's how you approach clean animals. And Jewish people kept that very carefully. And and the more you wanted to follow the law, the more carefully you were about your diet and what you ate and what you did with clean and unclean animals. Why in the world did God do it? Most people believe that it was for a pretty simple reason. It was to simply have a line of separation between the idolatrous idolatrous nations and the nation of Israel. It was simply to separate them. What separates people? What separates. What separates people in the Old Testament as we read through there, what separates them is how they approach God and what they do about God and how you see that in the Old Testament is by their actions without what they did. And so what God did is He set up this system whereby these animals are unclean, these animals are clean. This makes you different than them what happened when God said these animals are clean and these animals are unclean, these animals are good for sacrifice, these animals are good for eating, so on and so forth. What it did was it developed a system whereby the people had to depend upon God constantly. And it it separated them from those that were idol worshipers. Well, as we come into the New Testament, we can see one of the reasons why this was done away with was because that separation was done away with. There's no national... There's no national separation any longer. God separated all of that, and he said, we're going to work in a different category all of a sudden. And so that's what Peter was facing, though, because it says in verse 13, a voice came and said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. You and I cannot understand the depth of difficulty and how troubling of a statement that was when Peter heard this. Get up and eat. His response explains it. By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. I've never done it. I'm not going to start now. I don't do that. There was a line that you drew, and I have kept that line, and I have done exactly what I should have done without a doubt. Peter was not about to go against a lifelong commitment. We have a hard time understanding this because we don't have things like this in our world. And yet the Lord is very clear, this is what I want you to do. And it says this in verse 15, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We're going to start reading in verse 14. Jesus was preparing the nation of Israel for this a long time before Acts chapter 10. It says this, After he had called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding? Also, do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? Notice this, thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, envy, slander, pride and foolishness. All these evil proceed from within and defile the man. It's the heart, it's not what you eat. Now we understand that. (laughs) We've lived that way our whole life. This was a difficult thing for Peter to get a handle on all of a sudden. It was clearly a difficult thing for the Jews to get a handle on all the way back in Mark chapter 7. They weren't quite understanding it yet. They weren't getting it yet. And yet the Lord was making sure that they understood that it is your heart that causes those problems. It is not the outward things. What God wanted was He wanted a changed heart from the nation of Israel. And then He wanted them to live separately. And these laws will help you live separately But it's your heart I'm after. It's always been the heart that God is after. He's after the heart still today. And so it was the heart. I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look what Paul says. But the Spirit explicitly says chapter 4, verse 1, "...in the latter time some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is, to re, if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer." The fact of the matter is, is that what we're studying here in Acts chapter 10, there are two major lessons being taught. As national separation is about to end, there is no longer any need for separate laws, eat what you will. That was about to end. The second thing that was about to end that was far more important was this, that that was considered unclean is now clean, Gentiles and Jews brought into one body, For the glory of Jesus Christ. It would be good at this time to be reminded that the barriers in life that we cling to are man made barriers and not scriptural barriers. We have a lot of people that live in a lot of different places, obviously, but all of humanity is one family, all from Adam and Eve all from Noah and his family. God did indeed create languages, and he created languages because man was disobedient and did not do what they were supposed to do, and they were were rebelling altogether, and God created the languages to separate them and sent them on their way. But man created this thing called race, not God. As we were reminded by our Creation Ministries seminar that came a couple years ago, what we're reminded of is this. We're all brown. There are all sorts of different shades of brown, but we're all brown. There is no such thing as race, biblically. Now, there are cultural differences, and the Bible does speak to that. All sorts of differences culturally. All sorts of different things. We see that all the way back with Egypt and Israel and at the very beginning... But we never see this race barrier in the Bible. This is a tool of Satan that Satan has used in incredibly, incredibly excellent ways to create fear and hatred and to use it for all sorts of evil in our world today. There is no such thing biblically as race barriers. Cultural barriers, yes. Race barriers, no. And we need to understand that. Understanding that from the Bible is the reason why it, it, we, we begin to understand that and we see why having a biblical worldview is so important. I'm not going to fall into the trap of, of the satanic world that I live in that says that I should be afraid of them because they look differently, th- different than I. I'm not going to fall into that trap. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not about to, to let that kind of a thing taint me as a Christian, I won't let that happen. Christian missions, I'll tell you, Christian missions, they do a pretty good job of breaking down these barriers. They really do. You have people that are, are, love and want to go to different cultures and different places around the world, and they want to present the gospel to them. People that are involved in Christian missions are pretty good at this. Not so much for a lot of other people. The church isn't very good at this. And these barriers that need to be broken down go all the way back to Acts and really beyond, earlier than that. The barriers ought not to exist. Certainly the barriers that Satan has created that are nothing but fear and anger and hatred between people. They ought not to exist. God says, what I have cleansed, do not call unclean. And he wasn't talking about food as much as he was talking about people. About people. God sees two categories. Saved and unsaved. That's it. That's it. Are you saved or are you unsaved? You belong to me or don't you belong to me? You're in the family of God or not in the family of God. That's the only way that God sees people. That's it. Jesus Christ did not die for a particular people in a particular place. The Bible says someone, someone's from every tongue, every tribe, every nation will be in heaven. Christians need to understand that. And the barriers that you have in your life when it comes to what we call race issues are man-made, learned, taught behaviors. And we as believers need to get rid of them. And let me just be really brutally honest and say we as believers, especially who live in the four corners, need to get rid of them. Because it is a problem in our world. And it ought not to be. Jesus Christ is the issue. Not color, not language, not customs, not habits, not where you grew up, not what language you speak. Jesus Christ is the issue. And we need to approach life that way. A biblical worldview matters. Well, God said... Don't consider what I call holy unholy. Don't consider what I've called clean unclean, Peter. The Bible tells us this happened three different times. That's not unusual in the Bible. Every once in a while we see God repeating things. And Peter needed to get this into his brain, did he not? You need to understand how hard this would have been for Peter. (laughs) Incredibly hard. Incredibly hard. You need to understand how hard this was for him to do that. We all have barriers in our life. We all do. But you need to understand where those barriers come from. And you need to do away with those barriers that are man-made and the enemy inspired. And we need to approach life the way God approaches life. Well, it says in verse 17 that Peter was greatly perplexed by all of this. And yet the answer is about to show up with what in the world is going on. The men who were sent by Cornelius are at the door at that very moment. And they were looking for Peter. And while Peter was reflecting upon what had just happened with him, somebody comes up and says, there's somebody here to see you. So he went down and he talked to the men. And and Peter said, I'm the guy. And they said, listen, Cornelius. Cornelius. A centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well-spoken of by the entire nation of Jews. This Gentile fella, he was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear a message from you. And so the Bible says that what Peter did is he invited them in and said, sit down. This is a brand new day. Big stuff. Notice what it says beginning in verse 24 then. The following day he entered Caesarea, he went with them, Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and his close friends. Cornelius knew this is good stuff, God sent a preacher, I'm going to gather my family and friends together, we're going to hear what God has to say. That would have been a good day. And Peter entered and Cornelius met him and he fell at his feet and worshipped him. And so Peter, Cornelius wasn't quite understanding who Peter was at this point, but Peter immediately corrected him and said, stand up, I'm just a man just like you. There's nothing better about me. And that was going a ways for Peter at this point. Because Jews thought that they were better than Gentiles. Stand up. I'm just like you. And then it says this in verse 27. As he talked with him, he entered and he found many people assembled. And he said, notice this, this important verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. What did the vision mean? There's the answer. I should not call any man unholy or unclean. There is no barrier anymore. It is gone. Absolutely gone. Well Cornelius then he relates to Peter what happened and we get this in verses 30, 31, 32 and 33 and Cornelius tells Peter this is what happened and this is why you're here and this is what's going on and then in verse 34 Peter begins preaching. And it says this in verse 34 and 35. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. People who know Jesus know Jesus. People who are saved are saved. And it doesn't matter where you grew up and what language you speak and what you do and what your habits are. The issue is what do you do with Jesus Christ? Let's look at a couple of verses. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Because Peter said that amazing thing in this passage right then. He said something that was a tough thing for him to say, and that is that I understand that God doesn't show partiality. And yet that was a truth that God taught constantly. I don't show partiality. John chapter 10, verse number 16 It says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. He was talking about Gentiles at that point. He wasn't talking about other Jews. He wasn't talking about other disciples. He was talking about Gentiles, that I have other sheep that don't belong to me yet and they're gonna come and we're all gonna be one big happy family and we're all gonna get along because we're gonna be united in me. Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. And it says this in verses 29 and 30. Paul says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. He's the God of Jews and Gentiles, not just of Jews anymore, not just for the, that group, but for all people. There's no partiality with God, it says over in Romans chapter 2. It says there's no partiality with God in Ephesians chapter 6. It says there's no partiality of God in a handful of passages. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we represent Him. We represent truth about Him. There can be no partiality with us either. I don't know what your, I don't know what your barriers are, but I know you probably got them. Because we all do. Because we've grown up being taught barriers. And I know the Bible says they ought not to exist. They ought not to exist. We can't have those barriers. We are ambassadors of God. We cannot cling to those barriers that are not biblical. We cannot. We need to get rid of them we need to understand that the Bible says every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We can add every culture, every group of people, from everywhere. And God wants to touch them. God saves. It's really what He does, isn't it? He saves. And he uses us to be those instruments. We've talked about that as we've gone through Acts over and over again, telling our story and witnessing and testifying and those kinds of things. You can't have barriers. As a believer, they don't belong in your life. Get rid of them. Get rid of those barriers. We will continue this story next week. We will see the sermon. We'll look at what happens with Peter. We'll look at what happens with Cornelius. But as you, as you ponder some things, understand that maybe you're a lot more like Jonah than you thought. And that's not a good place to be. Let's be more like Peter. Peter understood that when I saw what it is that God was teaching me, I said, okay, we'll see. This wasn't easy for Peter. We'll see that. But he said, I see, and I'm gonna go For the glory of jesus christ talk to the lord about this find out if there's some things that you need to adjust in your life when it comes to barriers instead of being the kind of ambassador that jesus christ would have you to be father we thank you so very much for the word we thank you for how you prepare lives. We see it with other portions of Scripture. We see it with Cornelius and Peter. You prepare, you get people ready, you do all sorts of wonderful things so that you can accomplish your plans using humanity. I pray that we would be willing and that we would evaluate ourselves and we would allow you to evaluate us, that we would see if there be any barriers in us that need to be broken down, taken away, destroyed, and done away. We want to live for you not for Satan. We want to practice the things of God, not the things of the enemy. We want to have a world, a biblical worldview, not a secular worldview. So Father, change us that we might represent you well, and that we would be that ambassador for Jesus Christ to all people that you bring into our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.